Start with 12, and it's the story of when Miriam and Aaron rebelled against Moses. So we pick it up, chapter 12, verse 1 of Numbers. The Jews are in the wilderness. They are on the move now. They're, they've begun their journey toward the promised land, and we read this. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who are on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. And of course, remember, they're two brothers and a sister, same family. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. And then the Lord spoke to them. He said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against him, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when she comes out of the mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So this is the story where the rebellion of Aaron and Moses, Aaron and Miriam against their brother Moses. Now remember, Moses is the lawgiver. He's the mediator of the covenant, right? I mean, one of the most amazing human beings in human history. And there's Miriam, who was a prophetess. We already saw that title given her after the defeat of the Egyptian army a year before. And there's Aaron, who's the high priest. We talked about this. What an amazing family that came from the parents who grew up under slavery and the oppression under Egypt. And this is the fruit of that. These three children, they're all, of course, uh, adults at this point in time, and even older as being adults. But they're key people in the leading of God's people in the wilderness. And, you know, family's family, and everyone has an opinion, right? Like, we often said, we often say, like, hey, like, I'll be true and every man a liar. The word of the Lord is true. And then we all have our uh, preferences and then our opinions. And there's a lot of things. It doesn't matter what our opinion is. It just doesn't matter. We need to learn to respect other people's decisions in their personal life. And in fam with family, it tends to get a little more personal sometimes. We know that. We we're all human beings. We understand how that works in the family dynamics. And everyone has an opinion. And here, the adult siblings have an opinion about Moses having another wife maybe replacing his first wife, who was not the best wife. We don't know. We never read about her again from previously in what happened in Egypt before the Exodus, so we just don't know. But Moses has another love in his life, and God brought him another woman to be by his side. And by the way, think about her role as a wife. She's going to be by this guy, with this guy by his side for his last 40 years, so she gets the back end of the, if his life's in thirds, first 40 years, second 40 years, last 40 years, and she's going to be by his side while he's leading rebellious people in the desert, one of the hottest places in the world, the Sinai Peninsula, for 40 years with these people. She's going to be the pastor's wife for 40 years to a congregation that doesn't want to obey the Lord, and they're all going to drop dead in the wilderness, everyone over 20 except for Caleb and Joshua. 
I mean, if anything, it should be thanking her. Like, hey, thanks. Thanks for coming along. You know, like, whew, every pastor of a rebellious congregation needs a, a good pastor's wife, right? They should be thanking her. But instead, they're critiquing her. And the Lord just says, I'll have none of it. You know, he just, he deals with it. Like, just, if you ever had those family meetings that are intense like this, the Lord just like, boom, boom. Like, leprosy, wow. Just, like, that just sets it straight. But one thing the Lord says here before we go on from this chapter that gets my attention, well, there's two things. The first one, contextually, is that the entire camp of Israel was on hold for seven days because of Miriam. And we just never know how our sins can affect a group of people going forward. In a family, at work, in a church. You just never know. You just never know how our actions have a reactive effect on other people for the things God wants to do. And that's sobering for me. It should be sobering for all of us. Because our sin, although it's against the Lord, Psalm 51, David said, it still has effect on other people. And depending on what those sins are, they can be far-reaching. 2.5 million people are on hold for a week because one woman in rebellion before the Lord, struck with leprosy from the Lord, is put outside the camp for seven days. That's, a, that's an example for everyone to learn from in this wilderness wandering. But we see as we go forward in Numbers and Deuteronomy, they didn't really learn from her mistake. Hopefully she learned from it, right? Like, we always say, some people get it, some people don't, and they will. Some people don't, and they never will. So in this case, if Miriam gets it, good for her. And if others don't get it, that's their deal. But we want to make sure we get it. So hopefully Miriam got it, what God wanted to teach her in this situation. God has an authority and an order of authority. And when it's broken, it's not good. God is not into lawlessness. God is into order and design and the respect of law and order. That's how he set up his universe. There's laws, physical and spiritual, for his universe. And lawlessness and disorder and anarchy is never going to be a good end with the Lord. It's just never, ever going to have a good ending. God has authority and order, and that's the way it is, and especially spiritual authority and order. And we need to recognize that, and that's a lesson for us from Miriam. But what I love is what the Lord says here in verse 7, comparing Moses to a prophet. He says he's more than a prophet, because a prophet I speak to in visions and things like that. But Moses... He is faithful in all my house, and I speak to him face to face. Just that phrase, he is faithful in all my house, how special is that, that the Lord would say of someone's life, he or she is faithful in all my house. He is faithful. Like, it's hard to find a faithful man, a faithful woman. It's hard to find in our world, at any generation, any time, men and women of integrity who are faithful, because integrity is doing the right thing when no one's around because that's the integrity and the character of our heart. And it's hard to find people like that. And Moses was that kind of person. How wonderful when on your resume and you're quoting someone about you and your life, it's the Lord saying that you're faithful in his universe. And for me, that's encouraging because Moses's failures and mistakes, his frustration, his anger, these different things, they're on display throughout the Bible very candidly and very openly. And that just encourages me that, that it says of Moses that God says of Moses, he's faithful. And I just move on from this chapter like, that's what we want the Lord to say of us, right? I mean, ultimately, that's what we want the Lord to say when we step into eternity and everything's just laid bare and open before the Lord. When it's all said and done, that the Lord can look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And as we've talked about this year being a refining year where our focus gets clear on eliminating trivial things and distracting things and really focusing on the kingdom of God, it's, it's pushing us, it should be pushing us and moving us toward greater faithfulness in the things that really matter. 
this year should be bringing us to a place where like what really matters matters. What matters is being faithful to the Lord, what that looks like in each of our lives as we're in this journey of life, particularly for such a time as this. So I just say, yeah, let's, let's as best as each one of us can discern, let's be dependent upon the Lord and let's be faithful to the Lord. And, you know, Moses was a humble man and Moses was an intercessory and a forgiving man because he forgave his sister and he's pleading for her before the Lord. God's always got a lot going on and just to be faithful. So now we come to chapter 13 and we come to this famous story of the 12 spies. And so we have narrative here with application. And so we want to go through this narrative in a couple increments here in chapter 13. So we read this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. That's the promised land, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the commandment of the Lord, all them, men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were their names. Now these are different 12 from the 12 leaders that we already did with the census and the military conscription. These are different. From the tribe of Reuben, Shammua, the son of Zachor. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephne. From the tribe of Iskar, Egal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. That's Joshua. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadel, the son of Sadi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is from the tribe of Manasseh, the half-tribe of Joseph, Gadi, the son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Emiliel, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nahbi, the son of Bosi. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Machi. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent out to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So that's the name connection where we get Joshua being the same person. Verse 17, then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up this way into the south, go up into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So that's an agricultural detail that they'll see how fruitful the land is, and that's why that footnote's there. So these first 20 verses tells us this story. It's a very famous story, very far-reaching events of what's going to happen with these 12 men. This is really a, a chapter about leadership. It's a chapter about obedience. It's a chapter about faith. It's a chapter about trusting the Lord and all these things. And these things happen, and they're here for our admonition. So the first thing we'd see is the Lord commissions them to go check out the land. It's a test. And the very foundation of the test is the reaffirmation of the promise that he's given them the land. Did you see that at the very beginning? God says, go see the land I am giving them, giving to you. So the foundation of what they're called to do in this journey, if they're listening to the Lord and they're believing his promises and everything's been saying to them for 400 years, going back to Father Abraham, to them at Mount Sinai, and all they've heard is it's their land. God has given them a good land. He's promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, and it's theirs. It's their land. God is giving it to them. All they have to do 
is believe the promises of God. Just like Abraham, when God made the promise to Abraham, it says Abraham believed God and is accounting him for righteousness because he believed the promise that his barren wife Sarah, Sarai would have a son, the son of promise Isaac. And he had to believe and that the nation would come from him and that belief was tested. But in due time, he made the mistake with Hagar and had the son of the flesh, Ishmael. But there in due time, God's timing, he had the son of promise then he was tested with the son of promise there at Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22, where his faith was proven. And through that obedience, God says in another book of the Old Testament that he calls him friend. But he believed God, having not seen the promises. So God declares it. As we say, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's the faith. Bill Bright in Campus Crusade for Christ, he's been with the Lord for quite some time now. But he used to have the chart with the train engine, the middle thing, and then the caboose. And it's fact is driving the train, faith is connected to the fact, and the caboose is feeling. That's the order. So fact, faith, feeling. But what a lot of people do is they remove the fact, which just leaves you wide open to anything, random, subjective, existential faith, and then they usurp a feeling for faith behind the fact, so the feelings can lead us astray. So it's really important. It's fact, faith, feeling. So all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And as we say, when we give our life to Christ, we have all the promises individually of God. We're not children of a lesser God. Like I said recently, in this room of how many people we are, there's not some of us that have 100% of all the promises of God, and some of you have 80%, and some of you had a really bad stretch through October. I mean, October was rough, and you got, I mean, you just got plundered like your bank account, and your promises of God are down to 10 10% or even a minus 5%. You're even below the promises of God because you've been naughty or something, right? Like, it doesn't work like that. We're saved by faith. And all the promises are yes and amen in him. And as these 12 spies are going to go out into the land, each, each of these 12 men representing hundreds of thousands of people for their tribe, they're the eyes representing for hundreds of thousands of people. They're going to communicate what, how they see things. And God is telling them at the very beginning, when you go out and everything you can do from this moment forward, you need to remember the foundation is my promises. And you see through the optics of my promises with faith of what I'm doing. So when you go to the land, don't ever forget when you're spying it out that everything about this land is not based upon what you see or feel. It's based upon the facts of the promises that I'm giving it to you. And that's what they had to believe. They just, they just had to believe the Lord. Just trust in the Lord. Just trust in the Lord. Like I showed Saturday night, in all that's been going on in our country and on this planet this year, I just really had a very simple theological epiphany. I can't do anything but pray. I just came to the point that, that I, I can pray, and what can I do more than God can do? And all I can, I mean, who knows what he's doing? And we talked about various things, but in the end, I can pray in accordance to his will. And I'm going to be confident that as I step into eternity, however this all plays out, that his will is going to be manifested. If God moving is subject to 8 billion people approving what he does, we're in big trouble. But God is sovereign. And He's over the affairs of men, and whatever he's doing on this planet this year and in this country this year and what he's allowing, whatever I feel about justice or injustice or anything, it does, I'm, just, I'm just a vapor. Old Testament, New Testament says my life is a vapor. But in sold out to Christ and committed to Christ, our life has value, and we can agree with God 
in prayer, and we can move the hand of God in prayer. Like you said through Ezekiel, I looked for someone to stand in the gap. I found no one. So let's be the people that pray. So really, for us, even this day, as we're looking at a very uncertain future hanging over all of our lives, and it is very uncertain, we can stand on the promises of God, just like they were called to stand on the promises of God, and we can go forward into an uncertain territory, an uncertain world, believing the promises of God and knowing ultimately he's going to bring us to the full fruition of those promises for all eternity in our lives as we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So the promises are crucial, and he reminds them, I am God. I am on the throne. I did an Instagram post this week having fun with it because I don't have anything to post because nothing's been happy, right? Or, you know, like, I don't want to post political things. I don't want to post negative things. So I did my little Sunday morning to Mary Mary, you know, like, it's like, what? And I said, kingdom cadence. Why? Because Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is in control. Think about that one. And I got a lot of non-believers that follow me. It's like, is Joey like doing a, a like a like like you know air guitar thing to uh, these incredible spirit-filled black women from the South, Mary Mary, singing a song about Sunday morning? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. It's a kingdom cadence because Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is in control. And if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you know you can always unfollow me. <laughs> yeah, no one says you have to follow me. See, I have a strategy with social media. I'm not going to offend you with political things. I'm just going to keep bringing the gospel at you, and I'm just going to keep bringing the gospel. I'm going to keep bringing stuff. You're like, why is this 60-year-old, almost 60-year-old, dancing to songs that are preaching the gospel? It's like you're hearing it subliminally, right? Who knows what the government's doing subliminally, right? I'm subliminally giving you the gospel. It's like, i got to watch this again. This is crazy. Like, this is crazy. This guy's shuffling. Like, what is that? And Troy, thanks for the new move, too, by the way. And what I want to do is put things that are out there edifying and encouraging that remind us of the promises. I mean, Poncho Juarez from The Ark, he saw my posters. He's like, John Cho. And I just like, just like, whatever it was, he, whatever he was saying, I don't know, but he was stoked. <laughs> we want to project those promises, which brings us to the second thing of these first 20 verses. When you go there, tell us what you see. Are they living in big cities with big walls? Or are they more like a camp? Are there giants? Like, what's, look, look at the choices. Like, are you going to see things through the optics of faith or unbelief? So it says here, God, though, you know, Moses says, the Lord says to Moses, see what the land is like. All right, verse 18. Are the people strong or weak? Well, we know if you look at them in the physical sense, they're strong, man. There's Amalek, there's, there's former giants there, like just big people. Shaquille O'Neal plus three feet. They're bad dudes. Sihon, Og, those kind of people still existed in the gene pool in a post-flood world, right? These are big, bad dudes with big spears. And there's a reason David's men are mighty men when they beat guys like that, right? Some of them beat giants to, to be the mighty men. They're just like, oh, I can never take that guy, right? You can't. So just pray, like I was saying earlier, right? And then it says, okay, are they, are, is the land good or bad? Okay, what do you see? Uh, are they like cities or, or strongholds? Uh, is it rich or poor? W what do you see? And we might say tonight, when we look at our future with the Lord, individually in our life, as a church in America, part of the church, part of the Calvary Chapel movement, what do we see? What do we see for our relationship with the Lord and the future? Because in the worst of circumstances, when the, when the Jews are in the Babylonian captivity, God used Jeremiah, who saw just a, you know, poor Jeremiah, like, 
it's, it's like 50 chapters plus of like from bad to worse to bad to worse to bad to worse. And, and what do you think Jeremiah tells him what he thinks and no one listens to him? But he wrote to the captives, Daniel and those guys in Babylon who were taken away. And the Lord says there in Jeremiah 29 that my thoughts for you are not evil. Because you think that they're evil. Like if, if we think if God allows evil, then somehow his thoughts are evil. Like he's really against us, right? So if you're a young kid, a teenager, and you're dragged away, you obey the Lord, you love the Lord. God knows you love the Lord. Did anyone love the Lord as much as Daniel on record in the Bible in the Old Testament? I mean, like he prayed three times a day from his youth to the Lord. He refused to compromise when he went away to college, if you will, in Babylon, his convictions and his faith. Of all the people that deserve to be excluded from social suffering and hardships and heartache, Daniel would be top of the list. But his integrity shows itself in the most difficult of times that were brought upon him by the unbelief of previous generations. He is the recipient of the mistakes of previous generations. And I've been saying this, who knows what our children and our children's children are facing as recipients, perhaps, of the mistakes of previous generations. I don't know. May the Lord be merciful, because his mercies are new every morning. But there in Jeremiah 29, God said to Daniel and the captives, my thoughts for you are to give you a future and a hope. That's, that time is as dark as any time in biblical history. And God says, to give you a future and a hope. Now you seek, with me, seek me with all your heart. And you'll obey me. But my thoughts for you are to give you a future and a hope. And that's what the Lord would speak to us tonight. As we look at all this chaos and uncertainty and stuff we never thought we'd see in our lifetime, all unfolding right before our eyes, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I, 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 but like I said, you know, go for a long walk on the bike path, okay? Like you can just, just park by 17th Street and just head for Bolsa Chica. And don't turn around until you're feeling better about the situation, Okay. <laughs> Now, if you hit PCH in Long Beach, that's where the cops pulled me over and said, don't go any farther on PCH this way. Uh, I did with my Bible open reading Psalm 119 10 years ago. But, uh, you know, you can turn back around, but walk it out. You know, walk it out and just give that to the Lord. Go up and back and forth on Dog Beach as many times as you need to. But walk it out and see things through the eyes of faith. Because that's, we need to wake up with the eyes of faith. That it's a good land. It's a future and a hope. God's on the throne. He has got this. He's got this. He always has this, and he's never not going to have it. Nothing's going to come randomly our way. God's in control, and yeah, maybe we're all headed for Babylon or something like that, but God always takes care of his people no matter what, and trust me, in 30 years of studying church history, I can assure you that God takes care of his people, and they praise him in the good times and the bad times, and the greatest stories come out of the most... uh, cruxables of life that can bring for the church and who knows what we're in but i i want to praise him and i i just want to i want to see a good land we want to see we want to see a good land with everything god has promised us and we want to be men and women of good courage in our report of how we see the world right now because if people can't trust followers of christ to be projecting faith and optimism who's gonna because there's a way that seems right to the man, but the end there by his death. And people are, are, are a lot of people are on a way that they think is right, that the history shows, the, God declares and history shows it's a way of death. There's, a, there's not going to be a good ending to a lot of the stuff that's going on right now. We know that. And so we want to project faith and optimism, and we want to project that confidence in Christ and who he is and what he's done for us and what he has for us in eternity, and we want to impart that to other people. We want to come back and have a good report. So when we think about the main application tonight, 
We want to have a good rapport. We now, more than ever, need to be people of confidence and courage in the Lord with a good report. So they go out, verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up to the south and came to Hebron. Ahimnon, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. That's the giants. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So this is all the southern part of modern Israel. Then they came to the valley of Eskol, and there they cut down the branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole, and they brought back some of the pomegranates and the figs. And the place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So they're all there for 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron in the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is fruit. This is fruit. Nevertheless... Oh, that's just, that word is highlighted in my Bible. Why, why, why? Nevertheless, this is the declaration of unbelief. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb, here's the contrast of faith. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we're well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land, a, a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants. The descendants of Anna came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. <laughs> That's what happens when you go down the road of unbelief. The giants get bigger and bigger, and your God, the God of the universe, gets smaller and smaller. Either we are functioning tonight under all authority of Jesus Christ, or we're not functioning under any authority. I don't get in this pulpit based upon uh, my perception of how I think things are. I get in this pulpit based upon what Jesus said. All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And that's our great commission. It's never going to change. He is the final authority. And he said uh, to the Church of Philadelphia, I open a door that no man can close, and I close a door that no man can open. And that's who's on the throne. That's who's over this church. That's who we're singing to, and that's who we're gathered around this night. Jesus who walks in the midst of his church. Yeah? I mean, for real, like, we serve Jesus. This is no time to cower in fear over all these senseless boogeymen that are out there. Jesus is either on the throne of our hearts and on the throne in the universe, or we, he's not. But he is. And all things are made by him and for him, and all things consist. And we're reminded of that tonight. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion out there right now. Let our emotion be directed toward, hey, you can tell I'm doing better than last week, right? Our emotion is directed toward, yeah, I took a long walk after Tuesday. By the way, though, I listened to the study. I don't take anything back. So just so you know, uh, I'm not taking anything back. I just... You know, if I was pitching, I beamed a couple people, all right? The fastball was coming, and I, I did, and, and, it, and it wasn't by accident either, you know? Just say that. <laughs> what? You know when they're walking down to first base, like, because I'm a lefty too, you know? It's like, what? You know, but, so it, you know, I'm being facetious, of course, but I, I listen to it, and I'm okay. I'm okay, but I'm a little more tempered tonight. Just stay in your zone, stay in your lane. But, uh, you know, 
there's going to be a report of unbelief or there's going to be a report of faith. And we need to see things through faith. And again, this is an extension of what we just covered. Is the land this or land like that? And we, God is on the throne and he's in control. And it's so sad to see people like, nevertheless, like, oh, it's just so sad. Isn't the hardest thing to be around someone when they get all negative and sour? Or as they say in the surf culture, eggy. I don't know, that's a surf culture. We're like, oh, it's all eggy. You know, it's like eggy. What does that mean? It's just like sour, unbelief, just all oh, it'll never work. We cannot... If we, if we even lean toward that direction, we gotta, we got to fix that grocery cart wheel that's pulling to the left. We just, cannot, we just can't, we can't be there. We, we need to just really be, we need to see Jesus. And like I told you, since all this chaos, things, so many things have been stripped from my life for distraction. And in the most recent weeks where it's like, I just can't even believe everything that's happening, i got to put on Bible verses with music, peaceful creek music with Bible verses all night, but it's working. And what did David say? I meditate upon your word all night long, all night long. I can cry all night, but I meditate on your word all night long. And so we are not able. They said we're not able. Well, if we're looking at the person in the mirror to get it done, we're not able. But if we're looking at God who's over the universe to fulfill his will in our life, we are able. And we just, I just can't say this strongly enough. If we have a bad report, it's going to stumble people. And yes, people are watching us. They're watching me as a leader in the church. They're watching you as followers of Christ. They're watching it. The world's watching us as American citizens right now because I have friends all over the world that are saying, what's next? I'm like, I don't know. Stay tuned. It's a new day every day. We'll just, we'll just, wherever. But know this, personally, as I pray over things, I don't think we're coming to the end of something. I think we're really just coming to the beginning of things uh, as far as I can discern where, where things are at right now. And so we just have to, we have to be, Seeking the Lord, clinging to the Lord, and as a church, more than ever, we need to really come together and be the church and get stronger as a church, not get scattered as a church. And that's, that's a strong conviction. I know I'm not alone on that one either. I know there's a lot of people right now like, hey, we've, we've done this stuff. We've tried to do this. We've tried to do that. This borders on the, this is just madness now. We're the church, and there comes a day in everyone's life we have to decide, is Jesus king or is Caesar king? Here comes the fastball, right? Is Jesus king or is Caesar king? Jesus is king. And I had to make some challenging decisions today. And you're looking at him right now in this room. And I didn't do him haphazardly. Let me tell you, I woke up and Jesus spoke to me. Not out loud, but he spoke to me like he's been speaking to me for 33 years. And he said, my people come to my sanctuary. I'm like, all right, my day got easier. Because that was the first thing to figure out today. And I got it right off the bat. All right. <laughs> Lay your burdens down, you know. So it's easy for me to be here tonight and say, we're here, we're the church, and that's that. Jesus is the king, we're going forward. Don't believe a bad report. Don't, don't look for a bad report, because the giants get bigger and God gets smaller. God is omnipotent, omnipresent. He's, he's everything, and we can never lose sight of that. Now we go to chapter 14, because this, these go together. So again, a lot of narrative, but it's all moving towards something here. So all the congregation lifted up their voices, and they cried. And this is what happens when you... This is what happens when you go for unbelief and like a dark future. The people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? This is what happens with unbelief. You get skewed and all your thinking, your optics, your looks are all wrong. It's all wrong. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return 
to Egypt. They said, would it not have been better to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. That's all that happens in unbelief. You go backwards. That's what unbelief does. It takes you backwards. It takes you in a spiral, like a slew of despondence, like in Pilgrim's Progress. It just takes you in the wrong direction. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face, verse 5, before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephneah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregations said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle meeting before all the children of Israel. I mean, what a drama. Like, you, if you, like, you know, this, if this were a movie scene with modern stuff, you know, like this is such an intense moment. This is millions of people who are like, it's like a political rally and there's 10 people saying, we can't do it. There's no future. There's no hope. We should have, we should have died in Egypt. We should have died in the wilderness. Why are these people come here? We need a new leader to take us backwards. We need a leader to take us from what the Lord has for us in the light and in, in his character and take us backwards into things that are contrary to the Lord in unbelief and falsehood. And there it is in this like political rally. It's almost like a black and white clip from Europe in the 30s where it's like this, backwards, backwards, Egypt, slavery, bondage. And the people are like, yes, yes, yes. And there's Joshua and Caleb going, no, 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 no. It's like it's all black and white except these two guys. They're like, the Lord, the Lord, he's promised it to us. He delights in us. Stop this madness now. It's like the, the voice of restraint trying to save a nation. In fact, it is literally contextually the voice of restraint of essentially baby boomers trying to save baby boomers because it's everyone over 20 that are going to be held accountable. So all you guys under 20 tonight, <laughs> Buck, you're off the hook, all right? Dad's on the hook, but Buck's off the hook. There are literally, there's a whole generation weighed in the balances right here. It's weighed in the balances, Millions of people weighing the balances. The older people over 20 are saying, we got to go back. You're going to kill our children. You're going to wreck our wives. And, and, and Joshua and Caleb are like, are you guys out of your mind? We got to go forward. God's with us. He's promised it to us. Don't be afraid. We cannot be afraid. See, this is what we come down to as we come to the back end of 2020. Are we going to live by faith? We're going to live by fear. Are we going to walk in the light or fear darkness and walk in darkness? Are we going to be optimistic or depressed and dis disheartened? Because you can't have, they're, they're diametrically opposed to each other. We're going to walk in the promises or in unbelief. We're going to walk, we're going to walk with the gospel or condemnation. We're going to walk with a sense of heaven already in our hearts. We're going to walk condemned to hell. We're going to walk under the blessings of justification or we're going to walk in condemnation. We're going to walk in the truth or we're going to walk under the father of lies. There's no middle ground for this stuff right now. God is sifting his church and he's separating us just like he did right here in this text. 3,500 3, years ago in the wilderness of Paran. This is what he's doing. And we need to come through this. And I know we're coming through it. I know most of you. And I know we're coming through this. We're handling this well. I mean, we're, we're, we're coming through this. And we're just going to keep going forward one day at a time. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough trouble for today. Amen? Yeah, there is. There is. I mean, yeah. The rules are changing all the time, too. So it's just there's enough for each day. 
But you just got to love Caleb and Joshua saying, like, don't go for the fear. Don't go for the fear-mongering. Fear always sells. There's something in the human experience that is drawn to fear. Scary movies, horror. Like, you know, like there's just something that, about us that in our fallen nature that we move toward fear. It's harder for us to move toward faith. We're already set toward fear because we're born as sinners in rebellion to God. So the redeemed person has to just get traction and keep going forward toward the promises of faith. For all the promises of Jesus are yes and amen. And that's what we have to focus on. And that's why we're here tonight. And praise the Lord. If there's 2.5 million people, including those above 20, under 20, an entire army, there's an entire army over, over the age of 20. We did the census. 603,000 people from 12 tribes are in the military, and they're, they're sealing their doom right here. It's like if you're about to go, it's like Pickett's Charge at, at, you know, Gettysburg. It was doomed from the start. If you know Civil War history, it was doomed to fail. There was no chance to take that middle ridge. So 15,000 Virginians went up the hill on, on uh, day two at Gettysburg, and they got slaughtered. They had no chance. These guys and their unbelief dooms their military success because their success is based upon fearing God and submitting to the Lord and trusting the Lord, and they rejected that in their unbelief. They are powerless. They are powerless because they've chosen unbelief, and everyone over 20 is going to perish in the wilderness as a consequence for it, except Joshua and Caleb. And you wonder, right now in this country and on this planet, how many Human beings are weighed in the balances between faith and unbelief. How many governments are weighed in the balances between faith and unbelief? Between moving toward faith in God, blesses the nation whose God is the Lord, or moving toward human totalitarianism, authoritarianism, and despotism. That's where we're at right now. And no matter how many people go the wrong direction, we have to be willing to be like Joshua and Caleb and stand up in the right direction and plead with people not to check out their minds and to check out on the Lord, but to be reminded not to fear, to fear God. If you fear God, you don't need to fear anything, but if you don't fear God, you, you could just fear everything. And so we need to be the people, as we think about a vision for our future as, a, as followers of Christ in any country right now, but in this country, in an uncertain future, we, we need to be Joshua and Caleb. We need to align ourselves with them and how they were and just willing to stand up. Yeah, people were ready to stone them. And wouldn't you say that Joshua and Caleb are two of the greater heroes in the Bible? I mean, Caleb's going to be 86 in the book of Joshua. He's like, or just pop, pop, pop. You know, like at 86, he's ready to go take, he, he's, he's got to wait 40 years to get these things fulfilled because of the unbelief of his, his other people. Their decision affected him for 40 years. That's four decades of frustration being a camper with unbelievers next door to you in the tent. But he never gave up his faith. He never lost his confidence in the Lord. And by the time they got to the promised land, he's like, man, I feel better than when I was young. I'm about to bust a move. Like, I'm right now. This is on. And what did he do? He, he conquered the land. And, and his buddy Joshua's over everybody, right? What does Joshua say at the end of, of his life? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What does Caleb do? He passes the blessing on to his daughter, gives her the wells, the, the, str the streams for her wedding gift, and his son-in-law becomes one of the judges, one of the early leaders in the book of Judges. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. Just don't want to, these people of unbelief, they're, they're just bad news. And so we have to read the bad news to close it out. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 11, 
How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I perform among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. <laughs> and Moses says, Lord, no. Then, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people out from among them, and they will tell to the inhabitants of this land that they have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land which he swore to give them, therefore he kills them in the wilderness. Now, I pray that the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord, now he's quoting what the Lord said about himself to Moses earlier in the book of Exodus. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you've forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men... Who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall see no land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So God rejects them. He rejects everyone over 20, right there. Man, like, and I've said this before, there are certain days in our life that are critical, and our decisions that we make can be so far reaching what we choose to do in unbelief or choose to do in faith. For example, some people, there might be a marriage that's struggling, and one person's willing to reconcile, but the other person isn't, and they choose not to reconcile. You have no idea how far reaching that could be, how that situation could play out down the road. Maybe, maybe not, but you just never know. You just never know. Like, I know of at least one pastor who had an influence on my kid's life that he left the ministry during COVID and never wants to be a pastor again. That's sad. And as I know more about the story, young guy, why he would leave, because the church never reopened. And you can only do that. You know, you can only be a church that's not open for so long. I mean, it's kind of like, if you sell pizza, you're not open on Fridays. You, you can only go so long. Like, I mean... And that's a poor comparison, but the church is the church, and the church is people. It's a gathering of people of faith. And you can only close for so long before there's no church left. And a lot of churches, you talk about tens of thousands of small businesses that have been closed, thousands and thousands of restaurants since this COVID situation. You know, there's a lot of churches that have closed up. There's a lot of churches that have had major division and strife and split their leaderships. I know of at least two calories in this area that have been through that. Christ is not divided. So when that happens, somebody's in the wrong, just so you know. See, the Bible tells us endeavor to maintain the unity of spirit because it's already there. So when people are in disunity, it's because someone is not maintaining what's there. It's just, it's just sad to think how one night's decision, believing a report of unbelief, or being stumbled and discouraged by unbelief can affect people to just fall away. Our faith has to be stronger than someone giving a bad report and stumbling us. Amen? Let me say that again. Our faith has to be stronger than someone giving a bad report and stumbling us. Because if we're looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we'll be okay. But if we're looking to some man or woman to be the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus plus peace on earth, you know, then it, 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 we might not make it. It's Jesus. 
If there's one thing the New Testament teaches, it's not Jesus plus anything, it's Jesus. Solamente el Señor. Only the Lord. So that's, that's just the way that is, and we need to know that. These guys, what could be worse than being rejected by the Lord? There's nothing worse, because we're created for the Lord. It's one thing to rebel against the Lord and still have the hope of grace to repent and come to faith. It's quite another to have crossed the line and be rejected by the Lord. And who can know that line? But fear it. As you fear God, fear that line. Because that's a healthy fear. And we pick up in verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complains against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have, your dead bodies who have complained against me shall fall in the, this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except Caleb, for Caleb, the son of Jephniah, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore to make you to dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. Isn't that amazing? Like, things that we fear, and it's all twisted in our mind with the father of lies and fear. And like, we get somehow like, God is good and the devil's bad, but the devil twists things so that somehow he's good and God's bad. Don't fall, don't ever fall for that. These children, they're gonna know the land which you've despised. Verse 32. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness of 40, for 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days which you spied out the land, 40 days for each day, you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report before the, the land, about the land, died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephneh, remained alive of all the men who went out, of the men who went out to spy the land. These men rejected the Lord. And what we have right now is a lot of people rejecting the Lord, right? And remember what Jesus said, blessed are you if men revile you and persecute you and reject him for his name's sake, it's a blessing on us. So we gotta remember that. If we're reviled and rejected because of the Lord, there's a blessing on us for that. They've not rejected, like the Lord would say, they've not re rejected you, but they've rejected me. Like God said to Samuel when the people demanded a king, he said, they, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. I'll give them a king. We'll see next week in chapter 15 that God always reloads and gives another chance to the next generation. So we'll get to that next week. But these guys... They sealed their fate in one night. Just think about when Joshua and Caleb were up there pleading and begging, and these 10 people were like, no, no, no. Like, could they have known that their words would hang them? Their words would be their downfall, reflecting their hearts. There was, there was no turning around. They crossed that line. Chapter 14 of Numbers is one of the more sobering chapters in the Bible, in case you didn't figure that out tonight. It is very serious and sobering. He calls them an evil congregation. And you know what? God's able to take care of countries and leadership. He's able to take care of his church. But I just so fear for people who are in ministry who don't believe the gospel, they don't believe the blood of Christ, and they don't believe the word of God's authoritative. I just cringe as they compromise truth for collaboration with a fallen world of darkness and sin. 
I, I, they fall into this camp. I don't ever want to be in this camp. Burn me at the stake, but let me not deny the Lord or his word. And the same for all of you. This is my home anyways. And the more I see, the more I'm ready to go. I feel like I'm in an airport waiting for my flight. Come on already. You know, that's just, that's just, the kingdom is coming. And, but there's work to do until he's done with each one of us. But Joshua and Caleb, it's so awesome how they, they come through this. And yeah, God's got a plan. Verse 39, then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, here we are and we will go up to the place which the Lord hath promised for we have sinned. And Moses said, now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you and you shall fall by the sword. Because you've turned away from the Lord, the Lord will not go with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down, attacked them, and drove them back as far as Ormoth. There's just a point where it's too late. There's just a point where it's too late. It's like Judas when he threw the 30 coins back at the priest. It's just it's too late. There's a point where it's too late. So we just have a very sobering text here tonight, these two chapters, that they just remind us to see things through the eyes of faith, to keep our eyes on the Lord, and, and to stay away from the fear of, of darkness and the lies, to walk in the truth, and be, even if it's just, the two people. And if we have to go through hard times because of other people's unbelief, we say, even so, Lord, amen.